is Blake Labry. This is the Chorus in the Chaos. I'm joined with Grayson Gilbert and Jack Lee. This is part two of our uh, podcast conversation about church discipline. Uh, basically, to kind of catch us up, if you didn't listen to the first one, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that episode first, uh, because this episode is really going to build on that. The, the thesis really that we laid down is that church discipline is, is good. The discipline is good in general, that God disciplines those uh, that he loves. Hebrews 12, 6, our, our parents uh, discipline us. Hebrews 12, 10, uh, we recognize those different things. Uh, we talked about the, the purpose of discipline being uh, to show love for the individual, uh, to show love for the church, uh, to show love uh, to the watching world by showing that we are distinctive. We're not like the world. Uh, and ultimately to show a love for Christ in seeking uh, holiness and purity uh, amongst the body, which is uh, the goal that he has for our discipline. Again, Hebrews 12, 6. Uh, we talked last time uh, about church discipline in the as it played out in the church in Corinth, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, we have a man that is uh, sleeping with his father's wife, not just sleeping with her, doing other things. Um, Paul says that Jack makes this face. Well, you know, <laughs> it's not... Jack, you're going to have to cut that out. Hey, this is, this is a G-rated yeah, podcast. Yeah, well, I know, but just clarifying terms here. Grayson, can you go, Grayson, can you go back to the Greek <laughs> on that word? Uh uh, anyway, uh, it is porneia. Yeah, it is sexual immorality. Yeah. Porneia. Yeah, so not yeah. just not just dozing. Nope. Anyway, not the point. Uh, the point is uh, that this is a heinous sin uh, that is known to the church, also to uh, the world there in Corinth. Uh, Paul says that the church is actually bragging about their acceptance of this individual. Uh, he says that they are arrogant and that. This man uh, needs to be brought under discipline, and so they. So really, in in First Corinthians chapter five, he lays out uh, this process and purpose, uh, really flowing from Matthew eighteen, our Lord's own instructions uh, to confront the sin, uh, to warn the sinner, with the ultimate goal of seeing the sinner actually saved, uh, protecting the church, and presenting a good testimony for Christ. Uh, to to Corinth uh, is what Paul has in mind as he's as, as he's writing uh, this church, uh, but one of the things that we wanted to I think pick up on in this episode is that church discipline is good for the church and that means every member of the church uh, and every uh, position I guess you could say uh, in the church because in Third John we have something really interesting taking place. Uh, do one of you guys want to uh, grab that one, or do you want me to? Um, first, can you tell me how to say his name? Because I'm going to butcher it. Grayson, you're you're notoriously the guy. Diotrephes. So I actually uh, I preached on 3 John years ago. So that's one that you know for yeah. sure. Okay, I preached this text okay. the week before last. So, Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Did you say Diotrephes? I say Diotrephes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You have two main schools of thought with Greek pronunciation. So yeah, I'm of the school that habitually gets it wrong, according to my pastor and friend. <laughs> I usually pick the pronunciation that's easiest to say. 
I just say it really fast and, and kind of like jumbled so people don't know right. what I say. You know, that's, that is the you key know? to saying biblical names, speed and confidence. <laughs> <laughs> if you say it confidently enough, people will just assume that they are the ones that are <laughs> right, wrong. Right. Like, I, I've been saying that wrong the whole time, but Jack was pretty confident <laughs> when he said, I have written something to the church about who lived to be himself first. Yeah. First John. Or third John, <laughs> nine through eleven, I have written something to the church, but diatro, dio- see, I messed it up. Diotrophies. <laughs> I'm sorry. I we talked. I had it like on the my tongue, and then we kept going. That's Who a- likes to put himself first does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. Let me pull, let me, let me pull the room here where two or, th- where two or three are gathered. Um, if you know why that was a wrong usage of that passage, or if you don't know, go back to our previous podcast episode and you'll find out. Um, Diotrephes, what is his function and role to this church? So I know there are two schools of thought on it. One right, that yeah. is that he's an actual leader and one that's, is that he is trying to become a leader. So he's trying to usurp genuine leaders within the church, or he is a genuine leader. Where would you rest on that, Grayson? Or, or do you, um, have you decided? I mean, the text doesn't, I don't think it just says it outright. Um, and so my, the way I took it when I preached it was that he was one who was trying to usurp, uh, namely because of how he's described in verse nine, where he's the one that loves to be first among them, right? He doesn't accept what the what we say being the apostles. So he rejects apostolic authority and therefore is kind of of his own ilk and trying to come into the church and, you know, claiming either he's an apostle or he's better off than the apostles, however you want to shake that out. Um, but that's what, where I landed on it. He's a guy within the church, but he's one that's, essentially divisive and pitting against the people. Right. He's either an actual elder in the church, or he is someone who is very, very, very persuasive. Yes. Uh, A, like, this is not a, I mean, this is at least what can be said about Diotrephes is that he has a lot of verbato and a lot of, strength uh not only in personality uh but to get what he actually wants i mean because you see he's able to prevent brothers who are trying to minister uh to these traveling you know ministers and apostles and things like that and it appears he's also able to put them out of the church uh which I would lean more toward then that he has some kind of actual realized authority in the church, but that's not the but that's not the that's not the main point of the issue. Also, Diotrephes means nurtured by Zeus, uh, 
Uh, so he probably came from an affluent family. Um, this is speculation, of course, just by virtue of his name. Uh, probably came from a powerful, affluent family. Uh, he may have been very well accustomed to getting his own way uh, and doing, you know, and, and getting the best of things, which is ultimately what it says here is this man is obsessed with having his own way and being put first in, in everything. Um, the point is the church discipline is not just for, um, church members, parishioners, what, whatever you, whatever you want to say there, that church discipline is also for leaders who have gone awry, uh, and that it is the responsibility of the church to not only, hold each other accountable, but to hold their leaders accountable. And there is a pervasive thought that the pastor or the elder is untouchable or doesn't need to be accountable uh, or can get away with certain things, uh, especially when it comes to things um, respectable sins, when it comes to things like you know, gossip or greed or, you know, things like that, which is simply not true. I mean, we, we are, uh, as, as elders of the church, as deacons, as, as pastors, as whatever the case may be, church discipline is for those individuals as well, which is clearly exemplified here by John. John basically says that when I get there, I'm going to bring out everything that has been taking place, which is what he says again in verse 9, and there's going to be a settling of the matter because Diotrephes has gone way beyond, way beyond uh, his biblical role if he is, in fact, uh, an elder of some sort. Yep. You know, let's say that one doesn't flesh out that way. I mean, I, I actually would be sympathetic towards you just because I could flop either way on that one. Mm -hmm. um, and I would, I would say at, for you as well, Grayson, because, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not starting my own branch of, of Baptists off this. But. Oh, there you go. The, uh, the Blake Davidians. <laughs> of the, <Yeah. laughs> of the Diotrephes eldership. We have a very specific <laughs> right. interpretation right, right. of First John, yeah. Third John. This is the main issue, <laughs> by the way. Yeah. Um, but I'm thinking of like First Timothy uh, chapter 5, he talks about honoring elders, right? And then he gets into this idea of those who would bring an accusation against an elder. So, I mean, this just bolsters your point. Uh, verses 19 and 20 says, do not entertain an accusation against an elder except on the testimony of two or three witnesses, right? So immediately there's a level of uh, protection there for the elders. But then here's what he says in verse 20. But those who persist in sin should be rebuked in front of everyone so that the others will stand in fear of sin. So there's an immediate elevation, too, for the one who has authority that actually uh, moves beyond that regular church right. disciplinary process right. outlined in Matthew 18. Right. Yeah. I think uh, what we see, again, with um, Diotrephes is uh, sinful men can get into positions of power. And we've talked about this uh, before. Oh, yeah. And that, uh, and can use even the ministry for their own devices. And what's wonderful about God's Word is God's Word gives us a way 
of dealing with those specific situations. Um, and so you kind of have these two extremes, uh, I think, in, in 1 Corinthians 5. Again, you have a, a, a normal church member who's, you know, uh, in, steeped in sexual immorality. Uh, and then you have this other guy, Diotrephes, who is probably um, operating under the guise of that he's, you know, protecting the church, that he's uh, trying to help the church. He's putting out these individuals that would, you know, waste away the, the finances and the time on these traveling preachers when it could be used for, you know, the local body in a different way or, you know, some, I mean, just stuff like that. I mean, you hear those kinds of subtle, uh, sinful things. And it's gotten to the point, again, where he's, he's preventing hospitality uh, he is actually cast, you know, he's, he's preventing, you know, casting people out of the church, which is interesting because John is writing initially uh, here to uh, Gaius and Gaius is being commended for his care of the traveling preachers and his love for them, which logically then probably means Gaius has either been cast out of the church or... He's being hassled he's constantly. Yeah, right. He's yeah, he's about yeah, it's like to he's be on thin ice. Right, right. That he's about <laughs> to be, you know, cast out uh, for what's going on. So again, uh, God's word gives us steps to actually move through uh, this. I think in another way. So those are two extreme examples, but I think there's a a, a middle ground kind of example in Titus chapter three as well that that maybe that maybe is a little more um normative in our churches or situations P- perhaps perhaps i think i'd agree with you on that to be honest with you i mean so here's here's the verse that he's talking about here titus 3 9 through 10 paul writes to titus but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a factious man after a first and a second warning, right? I mean, you're you're just immediately done with him after that time. So I think if you look at it in terms of just what's factious, I mean, Blake, if you had to define factiousness, how would you define it? Um, stirring up division, which is what the ESV yep. says. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, strife. They're um, malicious. Looking to set um, up camps, you know, within the within the church as well, which they is they spend a lot of time on ancestry dot com. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, I mean genealogies. Yeah, yeah. Know. No, but all of those things were again. You would look at them. You're like, that's silly. But yet there are. Think of how many uh, churches are entrenched and encamped uh, with different groups that have made small issues big issues. And yeah. have oh, yeah. totally lost focus of the purpose of the church to begin with. If you're wondering about the purpose of the church, please see Chorus in the Chaos, episodes one, two, and three. Well, think about it like this. So, I mean, go on Facebook, right? Um, go into any reformed Christian group or just a general Christian group. Like a reformed imagine bar, that, for example. Yeah. Or a place you where you or, would gather. Is there another word for bar? No, I'm making a point here. Stop it. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm teasing you. The the you know, look on the comment section of any Facebook page that has to do with Christianity or any kind of group and just the warring back and forth over all sorts of different things. Um imagine that in a church, right? In the actual Sunday gathering of the saints, that continual strife back and forth where people are are just bickering and fighting over all sorts of different points of doctrine. Again, that's not to say doctrine's unimportant, it's vitally important. But if people treated each other like they do on the line inside of the church, I mean, that would be a factious person removed. At You know, once you give him a, a warning, then you give him a second warning, and then he says, after that, have nothing to do with him. So that, that passage always verse amazes 11, me. Yeah, in verse 11, I think really, you know, is the right hook on the thing. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful... He is self-condemned. I mean, there's so much, uh, there's so much there. Like for someone who is constantly about the business of stirring up strife and trying to tear the body of Christ apart. On and again, this is a point that cannot be missed on unprofitable and worthless things. Okay, so again, we're not talking about issues of you know, the doctrine of the Trinity. We're not saying like, oh, well, that doesn't matter. That's not something you should fight for. It absolutely is. Uh, I mean, he's listing things again, like genealogies, um, dissensions, you know, quarrels about the law uh, and, and, and things like that. So again, that I would assume is the more middle ground, I guess, uh, the more common kind of things that we would be approaching in church discipline because surely there are instances like 1 Corinthians 5 there are instances like 3 John 9 through 11 um but i would say this is a more average kind of dealing yeah well yeah i mean i can't remember their names um paul calls them out i think it's in romans the two gals who are fighting Mm, yeah. Do you remember who I'm talking about? I can't remember. Yeah. Where, but, yeah. But he he basically is just rebukes them in the middle of this letter out of nowhere, and he's like, encourage them to reconcile. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's all you right. hear about these two in scripture ever. And so, right. I I think it would be fairly common to say that disputes and fight, fights would come up within the church, um, just on a regular basis on something sure. like that alone. Sure. Yeah. Well, Grace. So, so Grace and and Blake. Maybe we can start shifting to because uh, we've we've kind of identified the extremes of people yeah, doing right, it, right, right. But when when do we do it, right? So, what does that look like? When when should the church practice church discipline? Because I think on the last podcast we gave kind of some extreme example, and I, I mentioned a guy I knew who's former pastor would go through their cabinets and <laughs> yeah, right. look look for gummy bears or whatever right, it was. Right. But I'll be um, confiscating these. Okay. Takes matches. <laughs> <laughs> Munching away on them. Mm, yes, yes. You are being gluttonous. Red gummy bears? Yes. I see. Hmm. <laughs> I'm going to take this soda too. <laughs> <laughs> By chance, do you have a movie? <laughs> I better not see you in the movie house. <laughs> I'll be in there with my gummy bears and soda, <laughs> looking for sinners. Sounds like a pretty good gig, actually. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> when to practice? Can... 
Discipline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when to practice discipline. Yeah, because it is it's a big uh there there's a couple of parameters, I think. So uh that we have, you know, laid out uh in scripture and then we have, you know, laid out before us. And I these are kind of things that we operate in, uh at our church. Grace, I'm assuming it's the, the same for you guys and you know, Jack, probably for you as well. Jerk, uh Jack, you just uh went through eldership right how does that work for i'm going through elder i'm going through elder training yeah how now. does that work in the presbyterian world no that well congratulations so i did want to say congratulations uh on oh, that. that's you. awesome man uh, it varies a little church to church yeah. um I, I guess i i don't know i can answer your would question you be, would, would you be you involved asking? in issues of church discipline like i see yeah the Yes, but not directly, not yet. What what right. they're what we're doing is a year of training and apprenticeship, where I I'm an elder, mm-hmm. but the goal is to let me kind of observe and watch yeah. and be involved in the meetings and yeah. and not just be thrown into it. Right. Yeah. Um, so so I'll I'll be involved, but I wouldn't be right. the one cracking the. Yeah, whip. it's time for you to to observe and time for them to observe you. Also, I'm sure. Yep. Yeah. And all this. Yep. Yeah. So I'll be asking for the gummy bears in a year. Yeah, right, right. Basically. When do I get put on gummy bear crew? <laughs> uh, we don't do that here. Gummy bear crew? Is that? It's, I don't know. We're not familiar with that. Well, let me tell you about it. Listen to our podcast. Yeah. So it should go without saying. When do you practice church discipline? Um, stop number one. When someone sins it actually has to be a sin this is not you know somebody parked in your parking spot or took your pew uh, or you don't like their face or they didn't say hi to you when you saw them in the albertsons you know i mean or the insert local grocery store in your area I supposed to say no, I was wondering no, I was wondering how long we could be silent after <laughs> saying that and that was uncomfortable I was I thought about breaking it for a moment and I just hung in with it and I'm glad I did that's what so, I do in small I'm, group you ask a question when I, when I edit this thing. stare <laughs> when I edit this I'm gonna make that silence like really <laughs> short so it's, no make it longer like 20 seconds people are like tapping their radios like what's going on is this it's broke. It says it's still playing I don't know. oh my gosh we're squirrely if you would like this content, you'll have to subscribe as a monthly subscriber to get this 20 seconds. Um, no, when somebody actually sins, and again, Matthew 18 kind of lays that out, uh, that we need to confront sin. I would say that part of uh, this, and one of the best things that elders and pastors can do for their churches, is we need to be trained in how to confront sin Privately and lovingly, and that's hard. That that's really hard, and I, I think that's part of the reason. That not this. This is one issue of an example of why the church I'm at is doing a. I'm an elder. I'm elected elder, but there will be a year of uh, of observation and kind of apprenticeship, if you will, because it's really hard. Like, it, and I, you know, I've I've never done it like that and it's intimidating to be completely honest um i guess you know there's that 
that trope, which is largely true, where you love the sinner um, but hate the sin. Like, but <laughs> oh yeah, okay, you got it right. I, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. Did I say I, mean, I was right? thinking of the? You, you smiled, no, and I was, I was thinking, thinking of the Tim Hawkins bit. You know. <laughs> yeah. I'll, so, but yeah, no, it's really. Hard. I hate that so, guy, but I love what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So when when do we when do we practice church discipline when someone sins? It, it needs to be. Yeah. It needs to be a very a biblical. You can point. This is a clear sin, right. an active yeah. sin. Yeah, you might even say right. and, it's an outward sin. What? It's an outward sin. Yeah, it's it's observable, right? It's uh, it's something that can be seen or heard. Um, and and Blake, you put this note in here, and yeah, because these are issues of the heart, and this is. I mean, it goes into the into you know the the teaching of the New Testament, the circumcision of the heart, and how how we're judged internally, and the why it's so important for us to study Scripture and be and listen to. Uh, learn to listen to the Holy Spirit because while it because it is much harder to discipline and treat sins that are internal like greed or pride um, when when they you know they take take root in the heart eventually those things if if not dealt with will demonstrate themselves but right they will come to know, they will come to come some to kind of outward fruition you know uh, I think that your relationship with the individual is going to give you, greater insight on those um, those root kind of sins, like those things that begin, uh, again, greed, pride. I mean, how, how do you put how do you put your finger on someone being greedy uh, or prideful if it's not working its way out in a in a clear um, right in, in a clear outward seen or heard kind of sin, uh, unless you really have a, a good relationship with that person. I think I think that any of us would probably say we're very hopefully we're in tune with, you know, the hearts of our wives, for example. Um, you know, and 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 they're probably in tune with with our hearts. And so they would have a greater insight even for this this first step uh, to approach uh, things like that. But for for the most part, for the most cases, it's going to be an outward sin that is seen or heard. And we're not just trying to dig something out that may or may not be there. Uh, because again, pride, I mean, you could, there could be somebody that's just their personality is just different than yours. Um, and you're thinking that they're prideful when they're just different than you are, you know, uh, and it hasn't, and it hasn't worked its way out into an actual, you know, kind of fruit sin, I guess you could say. Uh, which brings in the other prong then. So it's an outward sin, uh, but also should be a serious sin. Grayson, how do you guys, um, do you want to speak on that? Like on the serious sin issue? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of gradations to this. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll say first off, all sin is serious, right? All sin put Christ to the cross and all sin is worthy of death and condemnation before a holy and just God. So that's without question, just so you know where we are all coming from. Um, what we're talking about here though, is that this is not a, a point where Sally woke up on the wrong side of the bed today and she was short with you at church, right? Or, you know, you caught somebody in just uh, a lie. Um, and what I mean by that is it, it's not indicative of, of, regular behavior of that person, um, I would overlook it. And what I mean by that is that 
it's not like I'm intentionally just trying to diminish sin, but you look at uh, just the reality that um, Peter talks about. First Peter 4 he says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Right. The, the reality of what he's speaking to there is that there are times in which you can overlook sin in love. Uh, not all sin necessarily has to be confronted. Um, I talked about it before kind of in a joking way where I, I use the term sin sniffers, but um, what we're never looking for in a church is a bunch of proverbial sin sniffers that are going around and trying to just draw out or drag out everybody's uh, particular sin so they can say, aha, I gotcha. And yeah, then they start right. that process. It's like, no, yeah. uh, we're called to love one another. I mean, Paul even puts it in more frank terms where he says, bear with one another. If you were to translate that literally, it's put up with one another. Um, the reason for that is that we're sinners and we're drawn together in this body as a church, and we are going to rub one another wrong. We're going to commit sins against each other. Um, there's times where you can show deference to that person. And you can say, you know what, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt this time. Um, if it happens again next week, or if it is a pattern that I start to notice, then that's something I want to look at and say, okay, we need to address this because this isn't just a one-off where they screwed up. Um, and, you know, maybe they were, you know, mom is dying or something like, you know, major is happening yeah, right, in their life. Right. Right. It's like I can cut you a lot of slack in that. I mean, I look at even when my wife was pregnant, um, there were, there was a point where I'm like, look, honey, that you're pregnant, that doesn't give you an excuse. But there was a lot of points of being able to bear with her in grace and saying, okay, there's all sorts of hormones going on right now in your body, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to overlook some of this in, in grace and kindness because I don't need to pinpoint every little sin that now comes up. Um, I mean, for one... My wife would just hate me at the end of the day because I'm sure she could turn around and do exactly the same thing. Yeah, um, right. Right, so what we're looking at is that there's there's room for being able to to overlook certain sins or a right. non-habitual sin. Right, right. And I think you're talking – we're talking also, though, about degrees of, of – consequence of the sin too yes. right yep. again you, uh, your 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 wife being short with you or you being short your, with your wife in a in a in a one off thing or something uh you know that is something we would say okay this is part of you know sinners living together and things like that uh what we're not talking about is if your husband beats you uh to say oh well this is just uh you know bear with one another's burdens you know uh because there's because there are degrees of consequence uh, that comes along with sin as well. So again, this is looking at those outward uh, sins that are apparent, uh, you know, serious sins. Um, yeah, and the sin and the sinner also needs to be recognized as unrepentant. Yeah, right. Because right. Th there there could be gr you know gradient levels of sin, right? And if someone is repentant, like genuine re repentance is there, church discipline isn't isn't needed like there may be other things for accountability and different things but not church discipline. how often and i imagine this is true for you guys we didn't talk about this beforehand but how often have you um sinned against someone and nobody said anything to you but you were convicted by the holy spirit and then you went to that person and said <laughs> i'm sorry i'm sorry i was short with you um i'm sorry about you know what i said and the attitude and the intention that i had uh, I mean, those things. So like there 
you don't even have somebody confronting, but the Holy Spirit's doing that work. You know, they're also where you're coming in and though no one is calling you to the table on your bad attitude necessarily, maybe in that circumstance, uh, you are still repentant, right? Yep. Yeah. That's I, I, at risk of naming examples. It has happened. Like, and I'm, right. I'm tell us about all the times you've sinned, Jack. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I started to make a joke and I won't do it. Um, to, to me, as I, again, I think I mentioned this, I've been a Christian for roughly 20 years. And one of the one of the wonderful graces of being a Christian for multiple decades is observing the Lord working upon my heart in the very level very various ways of sanctification. And that that's one of them. Like I can think about things that I said or did when I was a relatively new Christian that I just moved on. Like I like I whatever, you know, just moved on. But those things now tend to to grade against my conscience more in a very good way. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, th- those things absolutely happen. And it's it, they're not fun conversations, but at, at, at the end of the day, I'm I am incredibly thankful for for our Lord and Savior who who works on my heart in that way, because. Yeah, that's evidence, right? Like I can look at that and say, say the Lord is doing a work with him. Like he is bringing it to completion and that brings joy. Like that's a wonderful yep. thing. I, I think of, I mean, let's say you've got somebody who's new to the faith or people of just different, you know, parts of their walk in the faith in general. Um, R.C. Sproul, I, I, it always sticks out to me, but he made a comment that was something similar to the effect of if the Lord just simply pulled back the veil and revealed every bit of your sinfulness to you at one time, you would literally be undone. You would you would want to die in that exact moment because of the sheer weight of your sin before the holiness of God. And what that has always made me think of, uh, especially in stuff like this, is, I mean, there are people who, they're in the different stages of their growth, and Christ has saved them. I can see evident fruit of salvation. I'm not questioning that. Um, I can see a genuine desire to please the Lord and to repent, and so there's just going to be times where I'm like, you know what, I'm going to let, I'm going to let this go for the simple sake of letting God continue to work with them, and see if you know they'll come back to me. Even right, there's times where I do that within my family, especially with my kids, where uh, you know I could easily, as dad, just needle in and point out all the different ways they've sinned, but it's I'd rather have them come with a genuine heart back to me and confess and seek forgiveness and then we can go to restoration than for me to always jump the gun and never give room for the spirit to actually work with in their hearts uh, all three of them profess yeah. faith in christ at this point and so for that yeah, praise god yeah man. amen congratulations that's wonderful um, yeah but all you three just of them ba- profess, you just baptized your youngest right we did yeah it yeah, was a very very sweet thing um she's she's got such a sweet little voice that I think it was just endearing, but then she sat down in the baptismal, and where it came up to her head, I mean, like her chin and <laughs> yeah. her lips were just like barely visible above yeah. it. <laughs> so, yeah, my youngest has been baptized too, Blake, two, twice as well. 
Oh, yeah. He's making a Presbyterian I quip. I know. That was a Presbyterian joke. It bombed. Grayson, I'm genuinely happy for you. <laughs> I set up the shot for Grayson to say he's baptized his whole house. Oh, I forgot. I made it. that. Yeah, I made he's, that joke. He's off in the, the roster. Uh, off the roster. It, it was a very clean way I could just slip in that line with a bunch of Presbyterians in our chat. Because I'm like, I baptized my kid. Nobody's going to slam me for this, but I'm totally doing it. I baptized my whole household because over the span of time, I've baptized my yeah. wife and my three kids. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Kidding aside, I'm genuinely, genuinely happy Thank for you, brother. you, man. That's wonderful. Yeah. Okay, well, let's talk about the process. Well, the, unrepent- the unrepentance, though, issue. Yep. I think... Oh, did we not finish no. that? No. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we did. <laughs> Jack's like, well, moving on. <laughs> anyway, I mean, yeah. So again, there needs to be repentance. So when sin is confronted... So to flip this around, okay? So you've sinned now, and someone is coming to you and saying, look, and maybe not even this tactfully, okay? I don't know about you guys, but I've had people untactively confront me with sin where I could have been like who are you? You know, like, but the, but the spirit just kind of stops me. It's like, okay, yeah, you do need to, you need to own up to, you know, whatever the thing you said or however you acted or whatever. Um, I had a very rough Christian beginning. (laughs) The Lord had a lot of stuff to clean up. So, uh, so this whole, so the, the whole thing is, uh, when someone does confront you with sin, honor the Lord and own up to it. You know, don't don't make excuses for it. I mean, if you're a Christian, when you came to know Christ as Savior, you repented of all of your sin. So don't try to dearly protect this thing that you're being confronted with. If there if it is an actual sin. If it is an actual sin, repent of it, uh, and move on. And thank God for his grace and his mercy that he has, you know, poured out on you and thank God for brothers and sisters that love you enough to lovingly confront you. Isn't that crazy how backwards we get it, right? I mean, once we get confronted with sin after salvation, we completely forget the gospel. And it's like the good news is that, I mean, first John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I mean, that's a promise that you can take to the bank even after you've professed Christ, and yet we so desperately want to hide and conceal or minimize. And right, the Lord just I mean, we freely promises. Be, we should be the most ready to repent people, um, and the most open with. I mean, I yeah, I just and I don't know why that is. I mean, maybe, I mean, this might be trailing off. Why is that? Why is it that we? Why is it that we? You know, in in the initial repentance, you come to understand the gospel, and you're like, you know, Lord, take it all. You know, I am, woe is me, for I am unclean. You know, I am undone. All these, I'm but a worm. You know, all these things. And then, like, you get a little bit of progression in your Christian life, and you're, tr- I don't know, like, why? I I've thought a lot about that. I have a theory as well. So let's hear yours, and then I'll I'll give mine. And by the time you guys are done, I'll have a third theory. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Well, you, never no, mind. no, no. I go, was going to make go. a joke. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Mister Jokey uh, Joke. It wasn't a. <laughs> I don't know. It wasn't. A, it was a joke. I was going to be. You know what? I was just going to say it's sin. 
it's, it's sin. well yeah it is sin yeah it's sin yeah it, it is sin go. it's See? it messes up everything um yeah C- kidding aside it i i was gonna be funny but i was also gonna say this i i think it's a it's an un there is an unwillingness in all of us to believe the gospel right our flesh hates it and it's one of those reasons we have to preach the gospel to ourselves and we have to regularly remind us of what it is because we have natural tendencies to not believe the gospel. You know, help help my unbelief. Lord, help my unbelief. Like that it's the it's the cry of the sinner. It, I'm reminded of that there's that I don't even know where it came from. I've just heard it referenced a number of times, but Martin Luther shortly after the reformation, like week after week he was preaching the gospel, the gospel and some churchman comes up to him and is like, "Pastor, can't we go on to something else? Like, why do we keep covering this? And Luther's response paraphrasing was, because every week you come in here acting and and speaking like a people who don't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> right? Or something yeah, like baller. that. So, yep. but, but, but fundamentally, I think it's, it's our sin. Like, it is this inherent sin nature that, that hates the spirit. It is. And, and we have to, we have to fight that and, and every day remind ourselves of the gospel. I mean, okay, that's good. it's a fountainhead from which all these problems stem. So, yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. What I was going to say, kind of in conjunction with that, um, I think when initial conversion happens, right? So there's that overwhelming reality of the Spirit's work in a in that conversion, to where they regenerate that dead soul, bring life, and uh, the Spirit is present with them in a very unique way. I mean, think of when you were first saved, and, and you have that excitement, and you're you're so darn sensitive to everything, right? So I, I kind of picture it like you're taking your kid by the hand and you're teaching him how to walk, you know, and those first days you're, you're literally your hand in their hand the whole way. But eventually you let go of their hand and they have to walk on their own. Um, and so those initial days with the superintendency of the spirit, if you will, in that new converted, uh, newly converted Christian and I'll admit this is freely speculation. Um, there's that nearness, if you will, and then that just slowly, in one sense, um, that excitement wears off, that initial sensitivity can start to wear off, and it is part and parcel to what you said, Jack, where it's just the reality of sin, indwelling sin in our flesh. Um, but there's also that aspect in which we we're now being pushed back towards the Word, in which we can trust and obey and walk in faithfulness and learn to persevere and to undergo things like discipline in order that discipline might bear its perfect fruit, which is perseverance, right? As James would talk about. Um, does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think some of it is, too, as I'm even thinking on it. So here's my third theory that I promised that I would come up with by the time you guys were done. No, I think <laughs> I do think that there is something maybe to the fact that when we're born again, so we are made, uh, then we are, we are reshaped in part, uh, re- truly into, into warriors that are equipped, uh, to fight our own sin, to mortify our own flesh. And we hate losing, uh, the shame of losing the battle against sin, uh, the uh, not only the shame on yourself, uh, but I know that I know I felt this, and I know that you guys have felt it, and other believers have felt it. That 
when you fail in a sin, when you when you actively sin, that part of the conviction is that you've brought shame not only to yourself in that sin, but that you've brought, in a way, you've brought reproach to Christ's name as well. And there's something about being confronted with that, I think, as a believer, that you naturally recoil from, and you want you want to be <laughs> your you, your voice would echo Peter and saying, "No, Lord, I I would never, I will never, you know, I will never forsake you." Um, when in reality, you know, in that moment, I guess in in your sinning, you have, and so being confronted with your sin, your, your natural uh, your natural reaction may be. Uh, to excuse it, to make it seem like it's not as bad as it is, or to deny it. Um, but again, yeah. I think there's some truth to yeah. that. But again, yeah. you're, I think there's some truth to that. But your Lord died for you. Yep. You know, all all three of those aspects, though, are are all things I think would be an encouraging sign with people. And and what I mean by that is, yeah. I'm I'm never worried, in a sense, about the one who is actually concerned about their sin. Right when it becomes a problem, is what we were driving towards is when you have somebody who is just they're unrepentant. They have no desire. They have no shame, no guilt. Um, when they prize their sin more than Jesus, yep, it's a problem. Yeah, yep. And that's yeah. Yeah. that's where this really kicks into high gear, and discipline needs to start to happen immediately. There are also instances, though, too where when we're talking about the unrepentant issue, uh, that there are some sins that are so heinous uh, that it's not undone in a discipline, church discipline sense, just to say, well, I repent, uh, that there would need to be, uh, I would say, maybe somebody would push against this, uh, but I would say that there needs to be fruits of repentance um, that show themselves, time and fruits of actual repentance uh, that take place. I agree with that. I mean, Paul literally, his command for the one who steals, he says, you are, you know, repentance is not defined simply as him saying, I repent. Um, It's not even defined in him seeking forgiveness. The way Paul lays it out is he says, you need to, for one, stop stealing. For two, you need to get a job. And then he gives a purpose clause so that you may give to those in need. And so repentance there is demonstrated in those three aspects. You stop stealing, you get a job, and you give your money away. And so your heart has shown a radically different shift. Instead of a covetous person, now you're one who is free with their money. You're generous. Right? So there's that fruit and that time. I mean, it naturally is going to take some time with them. Right, right. Yeah, that's a beautiful example. Yeah. Well, let, let, let's, let's quickly, so we've got about yeah. 10, 15 minutes left. Let's, let's talk about the process. Yeah. Of church discipline, I think we've alluded to it a number of yeah, times. And we mentioned and it even. Maybe we mentioned so, it even yeah. in the last episode. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But let's let's walk through it really quick and and to be very clear, because I would I would contend that when church discipline is abused, it's abused because it's not being done biblically often. Right? Either it's too harsh or the order of um, stages um, are not being done correctly. And I'm just. 
No one can see this, but Blake is trying to close some blinds really quietly. I don't want to get assassinated. (laughs) That was one of the weirdest things that my wife had to get over when we got married. Like, when the the sun goes down, I'm closing the blinds. She's like, why do you do that? I'm like, because I don't want to be assassinated. She's like, who's trying to assassinate you? What are you talking about? I'm like, look, just you're like the. Just trust me, I'm not going to get assassinated because the blinds are closed. So, <laughs> you're like the mafia guy who always sits in the corner booth. Yeah, no one's behind. I him. actually do that. Is that? Do yeah. you? I actually. So in a restaurant, I always want to sit so I can see the door. That's what cops do too. They're actually they're trained to do that so they can see all different points of entry, and so they literally will put themselves in the safest point of that room. Right. Which is why I'm always arguing with cops for their seat. So. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I have the George Costanza approach. I don't know what that Which is. Which is? He always wants to sit closest to the kitchen. All right. So he gets the oh, there you go. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I was like, who? I was like, is this a theologian? Who is this? Yeah. It was, yeah, right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The- <laughs> yeah. So, the yeah, the process in brief. Yeah, in brief. All right. So I'll take this one just because I did it last time. Uh, real quick, high-level process. If your brother sins, you're supposed to confront him in private. If he listens, church discipline is over. If he doesn't, you move to stage two. Stage two is where you take two or more people with you so that it's confirmed either as sin or not sin. If it's not sin, it's done. If it's sin, he's called to repentance. If he doesn't repent, it moves to stage three. At stage three, then, you tell it to the church. They are all then to call them to repentance. And if he refuses to even listen at this point, you then treat him as an unbeliever, which means excommunication, which is that fourth and final stage of it. Um, at that point, that's it. I mean, that's the very short, brief summary of church discipline, according to Matthew 18. Right, right. Yeah, I'll give you a quote here from Martin Bucer that I jotted down. Uh, he, he once said that, that at some point for the sake of the sheepfold, yep. a sick sheep must be removed from the pen, either to perish or be healed. You know what's amazing about Bucer is Bucer stands out to me as one of the guys who was most ready to just send heretics packing. <laughs> because they, I mean, seriously, I mean, there are so many famous heretics that walked through the city gates that Bucer's like, nope, keep walking. Just just head on out the other side of town here. Uh, yeah. Good for him. <laughs> yeah. I, I, so, like, I immediately respect that guy. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, it's like how much destruction all that stuff can do. Something to consider. And this is where it's not as clean. So if it was just Matthew 18, you could just coldly and robotically move through the process. Uh, But I think there's a little uh, nuance that has to be taken in that you have to consider in the process of church discipline, you have to consider the nature of the sin and also the nature of the sinner themselves. Not... Every single person is to be dealt with or can be dealt with the same exact cookie cutter way. So Matthew yep. 18, we have we have a process, right? Uh, but the pastor's heart and the heart that you should have for your brothers and sisters, dear listener, is consider consider the person. I think we have an example of this in in First uh, Thessalonians uh, chapter five, verse fourteen. Okay, how do, how do we deal with different people differently? Here's a few examples. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, 
and be patient with them all. Uh, again, we have different people from different backgrounds, different personalities on different. Uh, I, I love earlier what got mentioned um, that every believer you encounter is at a different spot on the road with their walk with Christ. And so sometimes a, a firm hand is needed. Sometimes just a gentle rebuke is needed. Uh, some people need encouraged and lifted, you know, and, and lifted up. Some people actually need help, like that you can come alongside them uh, and and help them. You know, there's there's so many things to consider when you're thinking of what is the sin that was committed, uh, why was it committed. And then what is the nature of this individual? Are they a new believer? Are they an old believer? Are there things that they're struggling with in life? Is this a, a fruit sin that is being produced by a deeper root that we need to get to? Yeah. Uh, all of these different you know, kinds of things. What, what are practical ways uh, that I can come alongside this individual and, and, and help them and admonish them and, and all these things? So that's where, um, that's where you really have to roll your sleeves up. Uh, I think, and and know yeah. the people in your church, and uh, pastors, elders, you know, know your flock. Um, that's yeah. yeah. I mean, it's I mean, not a it's not yeah. a cookie cutter thing, right? Um, it's it's like you you won't deal with you know the first Corinthians five situation the same way that you would deal with somebody who. Uh, you've got a 13-year-old kid who professed faith in Christ when he was eight, and he got caught stealing a candy bar from his friend, right? It's like you're not going to handle those two things different or the same way. Um, so, you know, let's say you do keep all that in mind. You do keep in mind the different backgrounds and circumstances, the sins, everything like that, and then you've gone all the way through the Matthew 18 process, right? Um, and they've been unrepentant the whole process. Yep. Right. How then is the church or members of the church supposed to interact with those who have been disciplined out of the church? Here's what not to do. You don't act like nothing's going on. Uh, I, I grew up in a very confrontational yeah. family uh, in that if, in, in a way this has been a blessing, that if there's an issue that somebody has it's going to be talked about, <laughs> right? Uh, that it's going to be, it's going to be brought up. It's going to be uh, discussed. If somebody's acting a fool, the rest of the family says, Hey, you know, you're acting a fool. Uh, and usually things get, are kind of, you know, crazy until everything gets settled out. That if there's, if there's repentance that needs to take place uh, or whatever, we are not historically in my family, people to just ignore issues, you know, and pretend that things aren't happening or things that didn't happen. Um, one of the worst things that you can do in the, as a church member in the process of church discipline is to simply continue as if nothing is nothing is not as if nothing's going on. As if, as if nothing is different. Um, yeah. That's like maybe the most unloving thing it you is. could do. In it moment. is. I mean, your one job at that point is to continue to call them towards repentance. Right. Right. Um, and we and have it, um, we have examples of that in scripture. Do you have them pulled up, or do you want me to read them? Oh, read! Yeah, I think if you have them up, we go ahead and read yeah. Them. Um, I'll just sure. go ahead and list them off real quick. <clears throat> so you have Second Thessalonians three six. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life 
and not according to the tradition which we've received in us. 2 Timothy 3.5, speaking of these same types of people, they are holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. Titus 3.10, reject a factious man after our first and second warning. 2 John 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, he's talking about the teaching and the content of that letter, uh, do not receive him into your house and do not even give him a greeting. And then you have, again, second, uh, oh no, um, did I jump ahead? No, you're good. I mean, those are all, I mean, yeah, those are all, uh, you know, references to the fact that when someone has reached that that final stage, okay, um, your job is not to just have there there is no more casual interaction with them uh there's no more coffee dates talking about the weather the wife the kids uh but rather every interaction that you have with that individual needs to be a deliberate conversation about repentance um all of those examples, you know, 1 Corinthians 5, what we see, 2 Thessalonians, 2 Timothy, Titus, 2 John, all of those interactions are, all those authors are saying, this is not, there. there's a fundamental change here now in the relationship of this individual. The number one issue that you are to focus on is their repentance. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of this, a lot of this episode of this podcast could be, you could argue that it's for, I mean, it's for everybody, right? It's God's word, and we're talking about that. But but practically speaking, there's an element of if you are in a church where someone is currently under church discipline, yep. you have a role. Yeah, it becomes a, a communal thing at that You point. have a role. Exactly, exactly. It's not just something for the pastor to do or the elders to do. You have a role. You have a responsibility. If you didn't have a role, it wouldn't about. be brought so up to you, It's you know? If it was just for the elders, if it if it was just for the elders, it would be just stay, you know, it would just stay in, in the eldership. But the reason that it's brought up, what keeps it from being gossip, is you have you have something uh, to partake in here uh, as as the body of Christ. And isn't that what you would want for you? Like you, like you sitting right now as a as a church member in good standing, which I hope you are if you're listening, that you're a member of a local church, uh, that you're in good standing with your church, that you're not under discipline, things like that. Right now, you can look at it objectively and say, yes, if I started to go astray, I want people to call me to repentance. Like, I know my own sinfulness. I know all these things. So if I was so foolish as to run through all this process, I would want people to pointedly have conversations with me, calling me deliberately to repentance. Um, that's something to keep in your mind when you are called uh, to interact with a disciplined member that way. Well, we got just a minute or two left. Let, let's talk talk about the best part of this. <sighs> deep, deep breath. Shall we? Yeah. Shall we? Deep breath. Restoration. So when church discipline is done... Uh, and it's successful, right? In the terms of repentance, restoration happens when when someone repents, and it is. I've I've only seen it, personally seen it once. Um, as as you guys are both pastors, you may have seen it a few more times than that. But as a congregant, I've only seen it once, and man, it is an incredible thing 
when that person is received back into communion with the church publicly. Like not a dry eye yeah. in the house. Like it is it is such a such a beautiful moment. I think I've only seen it once as well. I mean when it's yep. it's gone all the when way through it's and gotten then, to yeah. the point where they're restored. Yeah. Um, that's a sad thing in my mind. It's also you are right though, it, it was just a very beautiful thing. I mean, literally everybody's crying. And and it's not like the a few small tears here. It's like everybody's ugly crying, like Toby Maguire and Spider Man, right? <laughs> it's just like this is a an awesome thing to see because the reality is like you you the person's not just gone, right? And that's the whole hope of it is that um, they're brought back into the body. Yeah, yeah, and that so and so restoration happens obviously when that individual repents. And seeks forgiveness. The church observes it, recognizes it. Um, depending on the sin, the severity of the sin, the type of the sin, there could be periods of observation. Different things are going on, but but that restoration happens at the end of the process. And as we mentioned, the church publicly announces it. And that's, right. Right. Man, what a what a I think yep, it's what a special too, moment that in in restoration that it's a full restoration. You're not talking about. Um, uh, Wow, the words escaped me. Um, the We're going to get the short arm of fellowship. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah the um, we're not talking about a um, you know a penalty box time. Um, you know, it's a full restoration again, affirming the forgiveness of the individual. Blake, you had Second uh, Corinthians, right? So this is Second uh, Corinthians two verses six through eight. This is the same guy that Paul dealt with in First Corinthians five, by the way. Um, the church had finally actually kicked him out, right? They handed him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. And then Paul has to write him again and say, look, you, you guys need to bring him back in. Um, he says, sufficient for such a one is the this punishment which was inflicted by the majority, so that on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Wherefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him, right? I mean, the He's now telling them, look, this guy's repented. Bring him back into the church. Otherwise, he's going to just be overcome by grief because I mean, imagine that. You know, imagine you're the guy who undergoes the disciplinary process. You get kicked out, you repent, and then you come back to the church and they're like, no, no, we're still not going to welcome you. Um, in fact, we won't even greet you or anything. And so Paul's like, no, 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 he, he did what was right here. So reaffirm that you love him and bring him back in. And it is a it is a celebration. It's a celebration. I, the the prodigal son is, you know, such a great example. Uh, that line from the father in verse twenty four: "For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found." And they began to celebrate. Yep. Amen. And ten, I, I think, verse ten in that same same chapter. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So that is everything you could ever want to know. Uh, I don't know churches. that I'd go that far, but uh, yeah. hopefully. I'm not ready to sign off on that. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully, kidding. we've yeah. at least covered it in some <laughs> adequate detail for, for you guys. If, yeah. you know, if there's questions that you guys have that pop up through some of this, um, I mean, we'd be happy to take an email or anything like that. Um, ask your pastors first. You know, that's what I would say as a short, cheap answer. But um, we would, you know, if there's a thing that comes up and 
perhaps we need to. We could always touch on something more at a later point, but uh, hopefully these two episodes will suffice and and at least give you a basic outline on the how and the why and the what purpose for that we practice church discipline. Yeah. Amen. So, um, Tim Keller joke? I was just going to say Tim it? Keller and then... Have we sufficiently Earlier I was going to work down? in when you are talking about ugly crying. I was going to say... Cry, you know, crying like Tim Keller when Twitter is down, but I didn't think it was appropriate at the time. So.